Welcome nerds. It is a dark time for nerdum. Release dates for content are on the verge of being pushed back. Two nerds unite in their love for Star Wars once more to fight against the dreaded darkness. But are they too late to answer the call? Our nerds must rise together no matter what. To be the spark of hope. To entertain the masses. Mandalorians are stronger together. To celebrate a new generation of Star Wars. Anakin is gone. I am what remains. The nerds must strike back. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Volume 2 of Star Wars Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, Star Wars Month comes to an end as we count down our favorite Disney-era villains. Plus, we have a film review for The Little Mermaid. Along with that, we're talking the PlayStation Showcase and giving you our predictions for AEW Double or Nothing. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tier's benefits as well. That's right, Christian. We have over 20 Best and the Worst of the Week episodes up. And we also have Better Late Than Never reviews for things like Season 2 of The Bad Batch, uh, Megan, and men along with anime reviews you can find our patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing show but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned Well, unfortunately, to start things off, we get some incredibly sad news. Actor Ray Stevenson, best known for his roles across multiple franchises from Thor to Punisher, has passed away at the age of 58. Ray Stevenson is set to appear in the upcoming Ahsoka series, which may be his last on-screen performance. Yeah, like I said, just incredibly tragic news. Um, You know, gone way too young. Um, You know, he's set to play a big part in the ahsoka series um and you know he's had ties with star wars before uh he was the voice of gar saxon so um you know i mean he's also still one of my favorite punishers of all time i don't care what Uh anyone says (laughs) i love that fucking war zone movie um but yeah now just you know rest in peace well up next it looks like we have an update on the potential of an obi-wan season two Kathleen Kennedy, during a convo with EW's Dagobah Dispatch podcast, claimed that while she will never say never to an Obi-Wan season two or a film follow-up, right now it just seems that Star Wars has no plans to continue from where the Obi-Wan series left off, with her continuing to state that it is a standalone limited series. I don't know. I mean, while I enjoyed Obi-Wan, I don't think I was really, like, clamoring for a season two. I don't know how you feel, Christian. I think I'm interested in like the other characters outside of just Obi-Wan, but they can always pop up in other series. Like I would be interested in seeing where like Reva and stuff like that go from there. True, true. And I could totally see them doing something with her down the line, like you said, in another series of some sort. Um, But just Obi-Wan's story, like I don't want to see him chasing after a young Luke. Um, 
you know, maybe they wait for Ewan McGregor to get a little more seasoned in like 10 years or so. And maybe they tell a story that takes place like, you know, right before New Hope. But I don't know. I don't need a, a, a series about Obi-Wan the babysitter. And I feel like they did enough with the relationship between Vader and him, you know, that that could be like the last meeting before New Hope. And I would be totally fine with it. Um, I don't know. I felt like they put a nice enough bow on, mm. you know, everything. Um, and I don't need to watch him like bickering with Qui-Gon, you know, the force ghost. Exactly. So <laughs> I mean, the only other interesting thing that they could have done was have him go up against Maul. And that's, you know, already been shown. Yeah, so. exactly. You can't do that. You know, mm. you don't want to like retread that. But but otherwise, I could see like other series spinning off of you know the obi-wan show like you know maybe tell the story of that kind of like underground jedi like railroad they had going on um, yes the path <laughs> right that 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 might be interesting mm -hmm. so i mean right right like ice cube's son is part of that and everything uh -huh. you could have like you know reva reva i can't, i don't even remember at this point <laughs> whatever her name was show up um because it did feel like they're going to do more with that character you know mm. at the end of the you know series so um but like you said that, that doesn't have to take place in season two like you know you could tell a different kind of story at this point exactly i mean as i'm learning in jedi survivor the path is actually very connected to cal kestis's story so that could also be a way to bring him into uh you know live action if they wanted to. oh nice so the path is part of that video game now was that yes. part was that something that originated in like the first game or is this something new that they just added uh we yeah i it's new to the second game because okay. we find out that someone that was close to him was actually been running it okay okay so this is something that originated in the obi-wan series and now the video game is carrying mm -hmm. on with yeah. the story okay gotcha yeah i like that kind of synergy so um I, i'm sure they've got plans you know for mm. that storyline also, before we move on from Star Wars, it looks like uh, Tamara Morrison is joining the cast of Ahsoka, and he'll be playing a live-action version of Rex. Um, this is awesome news. I mean, Rex was a huge part of the Rebels series. I think a lot of people kind of forget about that, because <laughs> um, he was, you know, there to the very end. Mm -hmm. So really, this only makes sense. I mean, especially knowing his relationship with Ahsoka. And we also know that they've now gone back and kind of retconned Rex being there on Endor during Return mm. of the Jedi. Um, you know, basically saying this bearded extra <laughs> is Rex. Um, hey, which I mean, cool for him, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess technically that guy's the first live action version of Rex. And he didn't even know so, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, this all makes sense. And I don't know, I'm looking forward to, you know, catching up with Rex. Well, moving on to the Marvel side of things, it looks like we've got casting news for the upcoming Captain America 4. Murphy's Multiverse this week claims Captain America New World Order has casted Rosa Salazar, best known for her role as Alita in Alita Battle Angel, as another member of the Serpent Society alongside the likes of Seth freaking Rollins, as we saw in last week's set photos. She is supposedly playing Rachel Lighton, aka Diamondback, who first appeared in Marvel Comics back in 1985's Captain America 310. Cap 4 is set for May 3rd, 2024. So if she is indeed playing Diamondback, um, that is interesting. Because in the comic books, um, Diamondback has a huge arc where, you know, she ends up 
having a relationship with Steve Rogers and, you know, becoming one of his closest allies. So I'm wondering if they'll go a similar route with the character here. Um, and if not in this film, maybe somewhere down the line. Because just including her makes me believe that, you know, they have some kind of plans for her. Because really, otherwise, they could have had any other Serpent Society, you know, member in her place. Um, because there, there are plenty of them. So... <laughs> Um, I, it just leads me to believe that they've got something in store for her. Well, it also plays into what we've seen, you know, during Falcon and the Winter Soldier and how he tried to bring Carly to the light side uh, before making all those bad decisions in the end. And who knows? I mean, maybe she becomes a potential like love interest for Sam, especially now that we know Steve's taken, right? Steve's probably dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's some there, somewhere out in the time stream, uh -huh. right? <laughs> I don't know if he's necessarily dead, but, you know, he's old. He's not in the present day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he is in the present day, but whatever. Uh-huh. Whatever. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking time travel. Or he's like an alternate reality, right? Because he went back and he must have... I don't know. Okay, forget it. Forget it. We, forget we don't need to get anything. into the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already starting to get a headache. All right. Moving on. It looks like two Sony Spider-Man spinoff productions have been hit with delays. Sony Spider-Man plans for TV have been hit by the writer strike as now both the Silk and Spider-Man Noir projects have been halted. As Phil Lord, co-director of the upcoming Across the Spider-Verse film in an interview with Screen Rant claimed that both shows were in development until the writer strike began. And once it's all settled, they will return to working on both projects. So for now, it really just seems that everything is up in the air when it comes to the writer strike as far as when these two series may actually hit the screen. Well, moving right along, it looks like we've got some casting news for the upcoming Mortal Kombat sequel. The Mortal Kombat 2 cast fleshes out once more as the Princess of Adenia, Katana, has been casted according to THR. Actress Adeline Rudolph, who's best known for her role in Riverdale, along with a role in the more recent Resident Evil show from Netflix, will be playing the character. This film currently doesn't have a release date just yet. Alright, well, last but not least, uh, we've got some Terminator news. James Cameron, while at the Dell Technologies World Conference, stated that three months ago he began writing a new Terminator film but claims he's waiting to see how AI shakes out before he continues writing. After all, he doesn't want something that he writes about right now about AI to you know, be defunct in the next few years. Cameron does, however, have a pretty big slate in front of him with his numerous Avatar sequels left to work on. So who knows when you know another Terminator film from Cameron would be coming out. Um, does anyone want this? At this point, um, at this point, I really want Terminator to be rebooted and taken into like a newer director's hands in general. I just want new well, eyes and now, hands on it. Cameron hasn't directed a Terminator film in quite a while, so no. Right? But even the last few have all been just all garbage. No, <laughs> so, I agree no. with that. I mean, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen the last few. Uh -huh. I think the last Terminator film I actually saw was Salvation, which I, I think came out over a decade ago. Yeah. So um, it's been a while. There's been a couple, right, since then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and from what it sounds like, they've all been hot garbage. Uh, but Cameron hasn't directed any of those films. Uh, but no, this sounds only on more, as like a producer. Yeah, and this sounds like he's just kind of writing a script. I'm sure he would hand mm -hmm. it off to another team to, you know, handle the rest. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like if anything, just reboot the whole thing. Cause I'm sure the continuity is just a mess right now. Yeah. Um, I think actually Arnold just came out and said that, you know, he's done with the franchise at this point, which I mean, he is what, like close to 70 years 
both. So uh-huh. I, I kind of hope so. Um, I don't know what they did with the character in the last film, right? He wasn't part of the last movie, right? Oh, yeah. He's a major character in the last one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't even he's, imagine. I don't want to know, Christian. Don't. Okay. <laughs> don't let's, let's not get into it. I'm just going to get upset about a movie I never saw um, and won't ever see. But yeah, no. Like, you know, maybe it's time for Cameron to, like, hand the reins off to a new writer and someone with fresh ideas because mm-hmm. obviously what he's been doing he's been producing at least on these films isn't working so i don't know i'm sure there's someone out there with a fresh take well like the last film like he was like heavy on the marketing what? side being like this is supposed to reboot everything oh, yeah. and, and you know start off the franchise again for you guys i, I do like, remember nope. that right he was just trying to raise more money for, you know, his oh, yeah. 20 Avatar sequels that he's got planned. <laughs> and now for the nerds review of The Little Mermaid. Light spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Your father wants you to stay as far away from the human world oh. as possible. Can you help me? Ariel killed the prince yet? No. Kissed, your bird brain. Poor child. The sea witch? What has your father told you about me? You like to stir up trouble. I'll make you human for three days. Is that even possible? It's what I do. Now for something completely different, right? Um, The Little Mermaid was directed by Rob Marshall and stars Haley Bailey and Melissa McCarthy. The film sticks pretty close to the original animated Disney feature with just a couple of added songs for some of its characters that luckily didn't take away from the overall story. I will say out of all the Disney films I watched growing up, um, The Little Mermaid wasn't one I hated, but not one I ever really enjoyed either. It's a fairly simple tale compared to the rest, so this movie's goal really just had to be not boring me, which I can say the visuals and overall performances were enough to keep me engaged in a story I knew very well. Haley Bailey lives up to the wondrous charm of a bubbly bright-eyed mermaid obsessed with the surface world. She had the hard task of you know really going from a mystical sea creature to silent human as Ursula takes her voice when she grants her the ability to meet Prince Eric and gain a kiss from him in three days otherwise become a slave to Ursula of course. Her bright personality shined even when the character couldn't speak, but she was of course surrounded by a cast that could, you know, do a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Which brings me to Prince Eric as played by Jonah um, Howard King, which played a much more fun and relatable Eric than I'd say the animated film did. But the cast member that really stole the show here was Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. She absolutely, you know, chewed up every single scene that she was in and demanded the attention of a proper sea witch. And even with the two hour runtime, I wish we had gotten even more with her character as she was just so enjoyable to watch. CG-wise and a lot of the art direction was kind of 50-50 for me. I thought overall everything felt solid in the end. There was nothing that really bothered me until we got to the third act with Giant Ursula, which just felt a little bit lower quality than everything else that we got throughout the film. But a lot of its inadequacies were hidden well with the lighting effects at play. But I also was still very surprised by Ariel's fish friends, you know, not being made to be a little bit more cartoony than realistic, as Flounder for me just lost a lot of his charm as a character being such a bland looking fish. I do feel like, you know, there were some minor choices for Scuttle and Sebastian to tone down their more realistic look, but that didn't bother me in the end. 
it was more just a lot of the fish that were talking to the character just looking like fish with moving mouths. The water effects were also just, you know, I would say on par for any type of film that has a lot of underwater scenes. You know, something I would expect like out of an Aquaman film. You know, they were nowhere near that Avatar water effect that we saw, but who knows how far out of the budget James Cameron went to actually like achieve that kind of look. But as far as a family fun film, I think you and the kiddos will enjoy this retelling of the classic Disney princess story with, you know, some great performances driving the film to surpass the original animated picture in many ways. Ways, but it's still not the most exciting tale from Disney nonetheless. So in the end, I will be giving The Little Mermaid a B plus. And now it's time for the nerds top five Disney Star Wars villains. Well, for the finale of Volume 2 of Star Wars Month, we thought we'd go out with a bang and talk our favorite baddies. But to stay on theme this time around, we'll be discussing our favorites from the Disney era. So that means only characters that made their on-screen debut after Disney bought the franchise qualify for our list. Say what you want to say about Disney, but I mean, they've added some pretty amazing villains to the franchise. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Christian, do you have any honorable mentions? I think for my honorable mention, I'm going to bring up uh, Dedra Miro from the Andor series. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Polly Motto because she threatens my fandom every time she's on screen. She's not a villain. She's not a villain. You can't do that. She feels like a villain to me. I'll throw in Sid for good measure. Oh, God. Maybe, maybe also the mods, right? Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm also going to name drop Miro. But uh, I'd also like to bring up all the Inquisitors. So uh, none of them made my list, but they all came very close. So for my number five pick, I chose Crosshair. Request permission to hunt them down. <sighs> Granted. So what makes Crosshair scary is his total lack of remorse in the first season of The Bad Batch. He's the ultimate assassin, and his blind devotion to the Empire, even after his chip is removed, tells you all you need to know about him. He's ruthless and willing to murder the innocent without a second thought, all in the name of following orders. Because that's what good soldiers do, Damon. But for my number five, I have Reva from Obi-Wan. You think you could protect them from me? Tell me where the Jedi is, or this man and his family die! Obi-Wan allowed us to explore a little bit more of the Inquisitors, and we got to meet the third sister, Reva, in this series, in which her whole dastardly plan was to get revenge on Vader. It led to some of the most badass moments with Vader as well, but her own character arc was pretty well handled throughout the entire season. But her overall menace and character showed us what, you know, the Inquisitor program in general turns these, you know, former Jedi and former Force-sensitive people into. And I, and I really enjoyed getting to see that in live action for him. Well, for my number four pick, I chose Director Krennic. We stand here amidst my achievement, not yours! So he's the kind of middle management scum that everyone has had to deal with at some point in their work life. Um, ambitious and cunning, his drive to move up the ranks of the Empire is what makes him so fucking dangerous. To the point that he actually helps deliver the most devastating weapon the galaxy has ever seen. For my number four, I have the Grand Inquisitor. 
Now, if he were smart, he'd keep moving, but the Jedi Code is like an itch. He cannot help it. So he steps in and saves your saloon. You offer him a place to hide, fresh water, shade from the suns, but the stories they begin and they travel quickly. His compassion has been his undoing. From the Rebel series to a short moment on Obi-Wan, we get to see this former Jedi Temple Guard turn into an absolute monster as he tortures and murders the former remnants of Jedi Order. This character often, you know, reminds me of like if you had given Tarkin a lightsaber uh, and seen what he was capable of. And that's why he makes it onto my list. Now, I mean, technically, Christian, he made his debut during Clone Wars, so I think he should be disqualified from your list, and you should have to choose, he wasn't a villain choose someone else. But, I mean, <laughs> Clone Wars, <laughs> that episode was not during, wasn't during the Disney, you know, era of Star Wars. So, I don't know, man. I feel like you're breaking the rules already. Maybe. I feel like you're just maybe maybe, balls, maybe you're the villain. <laughs> <laughs> you're the big villain of Star Wars here. Oh, I feel like this whole show is just my villain arc. So <laughs> except you're not getting any redemption. All right. So uh -huh. <laughs> we'll count it. Whatever. Well, for my number three pick, I chose Kylo Ren. Show me again the power of the darkness. And I will let nothing stand in our way. Now, even though I feel like they botched his overall arc to the point that his redemption felt unearned, I do love me some Kylo. Um, he's emo uh -huh. as fuck. He can go from brooding <laughs> to throwing a temper tantrum in the blink of an eye. And he's just the biggest fanboy of his granddaddy Vader. Um, you know, to the point that he like strives to follow in his footsteps and you know, bring the galaxy to its knees. Uh, I mean, sick, twisted, and unstable, and willing to even murder his own father if he gets in his way. I mean, you don't get more villainous than that. That is one of my favorite lines of the sequel trilogy is let the past die, kill it if you have to. Um, honestly, um, Kylo Ren is my number three as well. Uh, and I feel like it's mostly because of us aesthetic choices. <laughs> the Just character. the look in general. I uh-huh <laughs> like i love the cross-guarded lightsaber i love um the whole get up the whole vader obsession i i, I dig i dig all these aspects but I, at the same time I'm, i agree with you um the whole redemption arc was just botched from the beginning yeah you don't get to put on a fucking you know softer side of sears sweater and you know go fight the good uh -huh. fight at the end of the movie <laughs> and just get a, a free pass for you know committing genocide but i mean christian i get it. i mean i'm a lifelong Boba Fett fan. So, I mean, looking cool does go a long way in my book also. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, for my number two pick, I chose Grand Admiral Thrawn. You have the heart of a rebel. I'll take that as a compliment. Now, before people get upset, we know that he made his actual debut in the novels in the 90s, but remember what we said up top this is all about on-screen debuts and his on-screen yes. debut took place during the disney era so we're counting him god damn it um a master strategist cold and calculating he's as terrifying as he is intelligent um i actually believe he holds the distinction of being the first legends character to make his on-screen debut after disney's purchase of the franchise um, 
he's been set up and primed to be the big bad for Mando and crew in the New Republic era. And that should only add to his legacy of evil. For my number two, I have Moff Gideon. We shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire! Long live the Empire! As far as Imperial Revenants, he seems to be the worst. Having really tormented all the Mandalorians and... You know, even though I would love to have gotten more screen time with him, the interactions he had with characters like Mando and uh, Bo-Katan for lasting impressions in the Star Wars universe. And he's definitely one of the best things to come out of the live action side of Star Wars since the Disney. Well, Christian, uh, Moff Gideon's actually number one on my list. Gideon is just the personification of evil. There is absolutely no redeeming quality to this sinister bastard. Uh, not only... Did he destroy Mandalore? But he was probably going to dissect Grogu for crying out loud. Um, and it turns out that wasn't for some like misguided devotion to the Empire. It was really all about like his own self-interest. He was trying to build a quote-unquote perfect army of himself because that's the kind of self-serving, batshit, crazy things true villains do. And funny enough, my number one is Thrawn. To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not simply their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. Even in a series like Rebels, where we had big moments with Vader and Ahsoka and even Darth Maul, another villain that stood out was, of course, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Just his way of attacking people, how he was able to get into the minds of all of his enemies and really dissect them and know them to a personal level that seemed like he almost had the force at times, just how much he was able to you know, lure in his uh, opponents. As you said earlier, he's incredibly intelligent and he uses that to his advantage. And it's why people like Ahsoka and them in the future are so terrified of his return. I'm excited to see where the character goes next and how they'll handle him in the live action world um, when we see you know him return in Ahsoka and possibly in the future film that Dave Filoni is doing. Well, that puts a bow on Volume 2 of Star Wars Month. Uh, but who are we kidding? I mean, every month is Star Wars Month on this podcast. So uh, we'll be talking plenty of Star Wars in the near future. Uh, let us know what you think of our picks for top Disney era villains. And also let us know some of your favorites. Make sure to check us out on Patreon. We have one more bonus countdown where we're talking the worst moments of the Disney Plus era in Star Wars. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. 
It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we had the PlayStation Showcase. Sony promised an hour-long showcase featuring a bunch of big games. And while that was partially true, everyone was really only there to watch for one game in particular, and we got some official gameplay footage from Spider-Man 2. More importantly, it was footage of the black suit Spidey in all of his angered glory. Kraven seems to be the main antagonist so far, as he's shown to be on the hunt of both Spider-Mans and their rogues gallery with the gameplay focusing on a mission around Kraven and his hunting goons going after Dr. Connors, aka the Lizard. Visually, nothing seems all that improved from the remaster, which, you know, isn't a complaint. The game still looks, you know, graphically good, but combat from the Venom suit looks downright brutal as Peter walloped his enemies with new tentacle-style blasts and definitely more aggressive strikes than we've seen in previous games. Miles shined as well as, you know, we saw the switching gameplay between the two characters, but now with even more, you know, additional gadgets to amplify his electric abilities. Along with that, Miles is also getting gliding abilities, which seem like they will help you traverse the map in like light speed. By the gameplay's end, Miles really seemed to notice Pete's new attitude as growing concern washed over him and Genki, which a lot of people are assuming there will be a big collision between the two characters. Another thing I didn't notice while I was watching, but a lot of people have brought up, is the fact that Peter mentions Dr. Connors as the only scientist who can save Harry Osborn, meaning there will most likely be a major plot thread with Harry in this story, as he was teased in the previous game, though I'm not sure if he will appear as a friend or foe by the game's end. A lot on the plate for you know Peter and Miles, and I couldn't be any more excited to swing on into this, but there's still no official date outside of this fall. Beyond that, there was a heavy focus on third-party titles, which as this being called a PlayStation Showcase rather than you know their usual state of play seemed a bit surprising. Uh, many online voiced their concern and seemed to be let down by it, but I guess Sony just isn't ready to show off anything. There's rumors circulating that a lot of games were pulled from this event, but I haven't found any sources that I would consider really all that reliable. So just keep that in mind. 
At the same time, I don't feel like Sony is struggling with any first party games, you know, in the same fashion that Xbox has. So perhaps they just aren't all that concerned about making a big splash this summer during the Games Fest. But to talk a little bit about the other things that were announced, um, at least the things that popped out for me the most, they didn't show off anything, you know, PS5 Pro or Slim, as many have speculated would be actually coming out this holiday season. But they did show off what looks like, you know, the PlayStation's own version of the Switch, which is really just a Wi-Fi enabled, you know, screen with, with the DualShock controllers on either side of it. You'll be able to play any game that you have on your PS5, um, across Wi-Fi at least, on this device mobily, which is a little bit of a letdown that you can't just download your games onto this so that you don't have to worry about, you know, your Wi-Fi signal. But it is still cool to see, again, like I said, all these companies really getting into the handheld device again out of nowhere. There will also be some earbuds, but there was no official release or price for either of these items just yet. Um, trailers, I do think that you should check out for um, some of these games were Phantom Blade Zero that looks like Sekiro with you know even cleaner combat than Ghost of Tsushima at lightning speeds, that is. Uh, Dragon's Dogma 2 for those Dark Fantasy fans and of course Elden Ring fans. And Tower of Fantasy, which looks like a Hoyoverse game but is made by Perfect World Games and is kind of like a cyberpunk fantasy RPG that seemed pretty cool. June is the official start for the Summer of Gaming. Official Fest begins on June 8th, but the Gorilla Collective is having a showcase on the 7th. I don't know if I'll watch that one or not, but uh, make sure to check out our Twitter uh, if anything changes with that. We have the Future Game Show on um, the 10th. Xbox Showcase on the 11th with the Starfield um, Direct coming right after that. Ubisoft Forward is on the 12th. Oh, it also looks like the PC Gaming Show is on the 11th as well. And there's still no word if Nintendo will have a Direct during June or not, um, but it seems like there's going to be a whole lot more news coming in the next two weeks. So make sure to check us out on Twitch as we're going to be doing live reactions to most of the things I just said. And the best way to know when and where we are going to be live is of course to follow us at AmazingNerdLive on Twitter, where we post all the updates to our Twitch schedule. And give us a follow as we go live every single weekend with new gameplay. We're still playing Jedi Survivor. I'm working on um, Redfall a little bit. I think I'm going to stick with it for a little bit longer than I originally planned. And then we'll eventually get back to Horizon um, Forbidden West and the Dead Space remake. I have not forgotten these games. I also have some other big plans for the summer as well as far as streaming games go. But with all that said, let's go ahead and move on to wrestling. This Sunday, Anarchy in the Arena will be the wildest, most violent match in the history of all lead wrestling because I, because we will not accept anything less. If you think the BCC has gone too far, if you've been offended, if you're squeamish at the sight of blood, buckle your goddamn seatbelt because you haven't seen anything yet. Well, Mox just, just put them on notice right there for this Sunday. All right, Christian, so this weekend is AEW's fifth Double or Nothing somehow. <laughs> I can't believe there's been five of these pay-per-views already. Um, Me but, neither. You know, even though this show drops on Saturday, a day before you know the pay-per-view, we still wanted to give our predictions for the card. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, what's our first match, Christian? Or I guess we don't really know the order, so just go ahead. But what do you think is going to be the first match? Just dealer's choice, Christian. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, the firm versus the Hardys uh, in a six man tag team match as our How first match. How is this match. even on the card? That's what I want to know. 
I I don't know. This feels like a like a before yes, the show. Yes, this kind of uh, zero hour I think is what they're calling it now. Yes, it's, there we go. I thought this feud was done. Um, I'm gonna go the Hardys because you know obviously it's the Hardys. Uh, and, and and Hook is now actually part of this because it was yes. gonna be the Hardy party, yes, but then Isaiah there. Cassidy got injured. Uh, so they s- substituted Hook. Um, send yeah, Hook, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the Hardys. Like I was saying, I, I just feel like, you know, Jeff Chiss came back, so they're going to want to put him over big. Um, and hopefully that would, that will be the end of all of this nonsense. Um, please just burn the contracts. Yeah. No more, no, no more, more contract, contract angles. Jesus Christ. I can't believe this made the show and not fucking Keith Lever's uh, swerve. Somehow they're in the battle Royal. Yeah, I, I don't know. What I don't the hell? Understand. Or Jay White versus fucking uh, Ricky Starks. <laughs> I thought that was a shoe in for the pay-per-view, but it is what it is. Let's move on. Well, I mean, speaking of the Blackjack Battle Royal, this is all going to be for the AEW International Championship, um, which has, of course, Orange Cassidy going up against Ricky Starks, The Butcher, The Blade, Bandito, Commander, Lee Moriarty, Big Bill, Ari Davari, Tony Nese, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, Kip Saban, Ray Phoenix, Penta L Zero, uh, Swerve Strickland, Brian Cage, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Keith Lee, and of course, the legend, Dustin Rhodes. Okay, um, so basically everyone who has a feud in this match will cancel each other out, and the rest yes. are just mid-carters, you know, getting some spotlight time. So I feel like it's pretty obvious that Orange is going to be walking away still, you know, inter- what is it? Intercontinental, not in, international, the international, <laughs> international champion. I've been loving the run, so I don't want to see it end anytime soon. So I'm fine with this. Um, and it's a good way to get, you know, some spotlight on other talents. I'm just really surprised once again, that, you know, we're not finally getting a match between Swerve and Lee or, you know, once again, Jay White and Ricky Starks. It just seems bizarre to yes. me. Um, that, you know, the Hardy Party and the firm are getting more, you know, ring time than these guys. But it is what it is. Do you think they'll play with any tensions with the best friends going forward? Well, you think they I mean, they would have had to have signed up. For I, the match. I hope not. I mean, I, they might tease something, <laughs> but I'm sure they'll all hug it out at the end. Up next, I've got Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm for the AEW Women's Championship. So Jamie Hayter is legitimately injured. So I could see her dropping the title here. Um, mm. I think they'll probably go with Tony Storm. Um, Storyline-wise, it makes sense. And then hopefully Jamie is healthy by the time of the Wembley show and she can, you know, regain her title there, you know, in front of her, you know, home country. So I, I feel like that's probably the route they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that she's had an injury this far into her, um, you know, women's championship run. But yeah, I mean, if they have to put it on someone else, I, I would say Tony's probably the best second choice. Yeah, right I mean, now. Tony probably has had my favorite like women's champion run in AEW. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jamie Haters was off to a hot start, but it kind of got like cooled off and just I don't know lost its momentum really because of the redundancy of the way this whole like Outcast storyline has been booked. So I'm hoping like with some time off and you know her perhaps winning back her title 
like once again in front of her home crowd that it'll kind of just re-energize um you know her um as a character we also have the ladder match for the aw tnt championship with wardlow going up against christian cage this is kind of a weird one because wardlow challenged christian to a ladder match right if I'm remembering right. Yes. I mean, after they put him through the ladder, I was like, okay, well, he's going to challenge him to a ladder. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go Wardlow here just because I feel like it's way too soon to take the title off of him. You know, especially after uh, last title reign lasted a day. There's no way they can do that to him again. Um, be pretty funny. <laughs> I feel like he's starting to like reconnect with the crowd. Finally, I, I feel like the addition of Arn Anderson has worked so far. Um, and my guess is Christian is kind of just the opening act for um, Luchasaurus. Uh, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe this will be a long lasting feud, but I feel like he's just kind of setting the stage for, you know, uh, the lucha Soros match uh in the future um i don't know it is what it is this kind of feels like i don't know a last minute addition um it's weird that they're starting off with the letter match um you know that's something you see after like you know two or three matches um but it is what it is well, yeah, that's why I feel like, you know, this is just a stepping stone where, you know, Luchasaurus would then be the bigger bad for Wardlow to fight off against later. I guess I think I'd much rather see like just a one on one match between Wardlow and Christian, honestly, um, just because I don't feel like ladder matches are really Wardlow's like forte. So mm. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Christian's you know, an amazing talent and I'm sure he'll put together a hell of a match. So I'm sure it'll exactly. work out in the end. We also have a match for the AEW world tag team championship with Mark Briscoe as our special guest referee with the champions FTR defending against Jeff Jarrett and Jay lethal. Is this like the third like title shot Jarrett and lethal have gotten for those tag belts? I'm not sure. Cause they went up against the acclaimed, right? Yes, I feel like at least twice. Hmm. Okay, well, this might be the time. I, I honestly feel like <sighs> Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal could take the belts. <laughs> Dear Lord. If that happens, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it's a short reign. Uh-huh. Um, you've got a stacked tag division right now, especially with like Aussie Open just signing. There's no reason why they need to have you know, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal walking around as tag champions. And they've been entertaining to a certain extent, don't get me wrong. But the fact that Jeff has somehow found a way to get Karen a fucking, you know, payday uh-huh. just is as carny as you could possibly get. <laughs> Jarrett always finds a way to get his bag, and that's exactly what he's doing here. Um I don't know. I, I like the whole Briscoe thing. It's entertaining at least. I did like him like slapping the shit out of both teams uh, this past week. I thought that was fun. Um, but like, I don't want them to make him look stupid either. Like he yeah. should be able to see through Jarrett and Lethal's bullshit, and that seems to be where they're headed at least. Um, 
and honestly, Dax was kind of being a jerk about things too, so maybe he deserved a slap. So maybe oh, yeah. we're like safe. forcing him to shake his hand. Yeah, like, it was be a little... man, shake my hand. I said I was sorry. Shake my hand. I was like, "What? Fuck you! You pal drive me in the middle of the ring." <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I, I just as long as Briscoe walks away, you know, keeping his like dignity in check. Um, I'm, I'm fine with this match. It is what it is. And like I said, if Jared and lethal win the belts, it might be fun for a short while, but hopefully it's only for a short while. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to go FTR though. <laughs> with all that being said, I'm going to FTR. Uh, I'm going to say Jeff Jarrett and Jay lethal get some type of shenanigans in and win the title. Oh Lord. All right. <laughs> Trust me, I don't want it. I just no. I, I you know, there's part of me that actually does want it. I think, um, and I feel guilty for it because I think it will be entertaining. I just don't want it to last too long. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's move on. Um, a match that probably won't last too long will be for the AEW TBS Championship between Jay Cargill and Taya Valkyrie. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say Jay you know, walks away still champion here. I think she's about to hit 60, you know, they just haven't really done anything to convince me that Taya is, you know, going to be pushed, you know, to the moon and be the first one to actually pin Jade. And maybe they surprise us here, but it just doesn't feel like that's her trajectory right now. Honestly, I don't know who will pin Jade at this point. No, I agree, but I hope it happens sooner than later. Um, just because I want her to move on from this, like, you know, undefeated streak to something different. Uh, I want to see her, like, mix it up with, like, the upper echelon of the women's division. Because right now it feels like she kind of exists in her own little, like, universe. Yeah, um, you know, it's very, like, Cody-like, if you will. Um, you know, this, like, whole, like, you know, Jade Pocket, you know, dimension um, where she just faces, you know, lower mid-card you know, <laughs> women. Mm. So it's about time that she gets some like big name matches on her resume. Yeah, I'm also going with Jade if that wasn't clear. But <laughs> up next, we have Adam Cole versus Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match. I'm back to Jade for a second. I could totally see a situation where like maybe one of the outcasts beat Jade and that like forces her to align with like Brit and crew oh i have had two titles in the outcast too would be yeah would be nice and then that way you have a storyline reason for her you know getting involved in that whole uh -huh. like you know angle and it makes sense if she's aligned with you know bread in them because she is a homegrown talent yeah um at, at the purest sense of the you know the term because you know her first match took place in the purest sense, because our first match actually took place in AEW. It'd be a good heel moment for Soho, for sure, to like turn um, Jay Cargill face. But as I was saying, up next we have Adam Cole versus uh, Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match. God damn it, I think Jericho's going to win. Really? Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. I just, <laughs> this whole thing with Sabu, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. So random. It just feels like there's going to be a whole fucking swerve here. And Sabu is actually aligned with Jericho. They have history. I, like, I don't even, I can't even begin to fathom what the connection <laughs> between Sabu and Adam Cole is. It just made 
absolutely no sense. And I feel like it was really just like Tony Khan, the ECW mark, just uh, like living out, you know, his some of his like fantasy bookings. So um, I just don't get it. I mean, Sabu looks like he could barely move. And I, like I have all the respect in the world for Sabu in the ring. I mean, some of his personal choices and attitudes are god awful. And I'm kind of surprised that he's even being booked on AEW TV, but you know, whatever. We won't get into uh-huh. that right now. Um, but like, you know, he was innovative for his time and he is a true wrestling legend. Uh, but I don't want to see him at double or nothing. You know, I, I get it. He's from Vegas, but he got his pop and I, I don't know what he's going to bring to this match at all. It's not like he can go still. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Um, yeah, I was really hoping that it was someone else or someone that was actually connected to Adam Cole. And maybe there's a chance that, you know, someone will come to Cole's aid during this match. But um, I mean, I when you know. say when you put it this way, yeah, it does feel like the odds are just too stacked against Cole to possibly win here. And it still plays into the whole like, you know, Chris Jericho having his six month to eight month feud. I mean, maybe like somehow secretly Kyle O'Reilly is ready to come back. Uh, I don't think they'll bring Bobby Fish back. No. Right. Unless they're going to throw him on collision or something, but right. Um, <laughs> no, I think he's got beef with punk. So there's no way that's oh, okay. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we're going to get like some kind of weird double swerve. I don't know. Um, but I mean, the match I-, I do feel like will be entertaining. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm just kind of wary of another, like you said, nine-month Jericho feud. I think part of it is because he just lost a match to Roderick Strong that I, you know, unless this is going to be some kind of, like, overarching narrative with Jericho, I can't see him losing, like, two big matches Mm back-to-back like this. You know, I feel like he, you know, did the honors for Strong because he was going to go over Cole here, you know, probably due to shenanigans. Um, And then, you know, carry on to a feud where you know he'll eventually put over cole um but yeah i mean it's it's very typical of like the way jericho's been booking his own storylines of late so well i'm i'm gonna hope for cole but i I guess my brain's gonna say jericho uh up next we have the anarchy in the arena match between the blackpool combat club and the elite i'm gonna say blackpool combat club here um, because I feel like the story needs to carry on. Um, I could see Don Callis getting involved and costing, uh, the elite, the match. I mean, maybe we have Takesha show up and, you know, turn on the elite. Um, you know, especially since he's been aligned with Callis of late. Um, but yeah, I feel like something's going to happen to cost the elite, the match. And that way this, you know, angle can continue on. Uh, to a blood and guts match, which I feel like is obviously, you know, on the horizon at some point. Yeah, I, I'm definitely voting Blackpool Combat Club. Um, I love the promo from this week uh, from Moxley, and I, I, I really do hope to see, you know, more blood. <laughs> I did. You know what? I didn't think they did a great job with the follow up to like such a, you know, big moment of the elite, like reuniting the week prior I wish we would have seen them all together. Together, yeah. Doing yeah. the assault would have been nice. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, obviously, Omega was probably not there because he wasn't on, 
the show at all, right? We, no. we didn't get anything from Omega. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that Hangman wasn't there either because we just had like a backstage segment Stage with him. Video, yeah. He wasn't even like with the Bucks at the end of the show, like underneath the rings. So um, I don't know. It was kind of weird. I don't know if it was more of a scheduling thing, but you would think like, you know, with the pay-per-view this weekend, you'd want all your participants on the screen, you know, to sell that match. Um, so, and just, I mean, like I said, this whole storyline is three years in the making. So I was expecting a bigger, you know, mm-hmm. just follow up to kind of like, you know, put a bow on everything. But, you know, maybe they know that this is a middle chapter anyway. So, uh. yeah, but like this is an AEW problem. I feel like they always have like they don't follow things up enough to make the moment like feel big. Like if you don't have a decent follow up then it doesn't really resonate as much in like your fans minds. Like you need to make this moment feel like it was huge by having like some, you know, follow up with the guys like all together or something like that. Um, Sometimes it's more like, you know, show me, don't tell me, Um, you know, and I feel like that's where Tony misses the boat a lot with his booking. Um, you know, you're the curator of your own history. And if you don't sit there and emphasize how important of a moment this is, then, you know, no one but you is going to realize it at the end of the day. So um, I don't know. But with that said, that brings us into our main events, the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Um, It's a fail four-way amongst the four pillars with MJF defending against Sammy Guevara, Darby Allin, and Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Uh, So there's been some debate online whether or not this match will actually be the main event. A lot of people are saying that it should be the Anarchy in the Arena match. Um, I understand why, because I feel like that is the much, like, hotter, like, you know, feud right now, but at the same time, like I'm purist and I feel like the world title should always be in the main event. Well, uh, I mean, and I feel been... like Tony is also a purist and he always mm-hmm. wants to put the world title in the main event, unless it's, you know, some situation like, you know, uh, with the stadium uh, stampede or whatever the hell they called it. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like, you know, this should be the main event at the end of the day. I mean, They've pretty much been saying, hey, this is going to be the main event for... I don't know if they've actually said it's the main event. I feel like they're just saying... I thought the whole point of the tournament was like, yeah, I'm going to get you a main event match, is what he was saying. Was he saying that? I think it was just a championship match, but I could be wrong. Because there's been a lot of people debating whether or not this was actually going to go on last. But I could be wrong. Um, You know, I haven't been a big fan of this buildup whatsoever. I feel like it's really made, you know, Sammy Darby and Jungle Boy feel just lesser than compared to MJF and really kind of highlighted it in a way. Um, I think part of the problem is like he didn't do enough build to this storyline, you know, where if it was a case where Sammy Darby and Jungle Boy were just white hot and on this mm-hmm. crazy like win streak, um, you know, storyline wise, um, like it would make sense for you know them to be facing off MJF, where they were just all white hot, um, you know, in you know the fans' eyes. But that wasn't the case at all. They just like all of a sudden randomly came out and demanded title shots. Um, 
and it made them almost feel like entitled in a way. And like part of the problem is just the amount of time they have in between these pay-per-views to the point where I feel like it, it felt like they had the tournament to get into this match almost too soon. Um, when like all that was resolved, then all of a sudden they had like, like three to four weeks left. <laughs> and all we've been seeing is just a whole lot of like, I don't know rather lackluster promo work from the uh, rest of the pillars with MJF, like trying to really like carry the load and sell this match. I mean, that's what happened this past week. Like he got in the ring and he really like put over the pillars the best he could. You could tell like he was really trying to sell everyone <laughs> on like the importance of this match. Um, it, it almost worked, but then, you know, the rest of the guys came out and, you know, did their thing and yeah, they had Darby do the same promo pretty much from the first week. Yes. I mean, you're you're not wrong. (laughs) And like he did an okay job delivering the promo this week and it felt more in character comparatively speaking to like the last month's worth of promos where it almost Mm -hmm. felt like, why are you doing this Darby's character? Like he's not this entitled brat demanding like title shots. That's not who he is. Um, but, like, you're right. I mean, it was pretty much the same fucking promo once again. Um, and, like, Sammy is all of a sudden supposed to be a baby face after being this, like, conniving kind of heel just a couple weeks ago. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm wondering if that's all kind of a ruse and, you know, Sammy's still aligned with MJF. But, I mean, I could also see the possibility of Jungle Boy being aligned with MJF. Um, I mean, we saw last week in the match against Roosh where, you know, he had to cheat to win. Um, and then like, we, he kind of gave this weird, like foreboding promo this week. So could MJF possibly be getting to him? And like, we see jungle boy align himself with him. Um, who knows? I mean, who knows? Maybe we have like Darby Allen, you know, about to beat MJF and then, you know, Jack, you know, interferes, you know, attacks uh, Darby, which would be fine if he was going for the pin, but then he actually mm. has MJF, you know, get the pin. Yes, um, lays down for him. and, and Well, not lays be... down for him, but he takes out Darby and then lets MJF, you know, cover him. Um, I don't want to see a situation where anyone lays down for anyone. That's awful. Um, that's so WCW, like, you know, early 2000s. So let's not do that. But, you know, I could see a situation where, you know, Jungle Boy does align with MJF. And it would be an interesting storyline, at least for Jungle Boy. But it does feel very un aew like too. So mm. um, we'll see. I mean, maybe it's just going to be a straight up match. Um, which is fine, because I feel like it's going to be a hell of a match in, like, you know, the weak build to it is going to kind of all fall to the wayside at the end of the day. Um, Cause I'm sure all four guys are going to want to steal the show. Um, Cause they've got a lot on the line. And I feel like uh, some of them probably realize that they need to kind of salvage um, their image at this point, <laughs> uh, which they'll be fine. They'll be able to do, but oh yeah, 
you know, right now they just feel a lot lesser than MJF. Um, and MJF is showing why, you know, he's kind of the chosen one in the promotion at this point. So um, it is what it is. Hopefully, you know, Tony's able to kind of like refocus their pushes afterwards and, you know, prove why they deserve the moniker of the four pillars. Um, but like right now, I mean, they don't feel like, you know, they're deserving. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like Orange Cassidy is more of a pillar than some of these guys. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, look, he's he's fucking, you know, carrying dynamite some uh. weeks. So, um, but anyway, I don't know. I, I'm going to go MJF all the way here, though. Yeah, same. I think there's no way that MJF doesn't walk out with the title in this one. All right, Christian. So before we go. With the big announcement that we got this week that, you know, AEW Collision is going to be debuting in the United Center in Chicago, um, you know, and that basically guaranteeing pretty much, knock on wood, that CM Punk is going to be, you know, headed back to AEW. Do you think we get the big, like, Punk announcement on this pay-per-view? Or do you think they're just going to tease it the way they did the last time he made his big return? I think they will absolutely tease it just like last time up until the event. They won't say a damn thing about Punk going forward. Probably why, since, you know, it feels Uh like everything's kind of like unstable crowds. But apparently they ironed everything out, Um, you know. Oh, so Ace still has a job on Collision. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) There's really no details, but I guess both sides have agreed to continue to work together, which is a good thing. Um, As long as it doesn't like, as long as it doesn't include like Punk, like continuing to hold Tony Khan over a barrel. Um, it is what it is because I do feel like punk will bring a lot of eyes to AEW and I'm, I am a punk fan. Um, even though I totally feel like he's in the wrong in this situation, but I mean, that's just going off of, you know, all the different, like, you know, reports and, you know, unless you're there, who the fuck knows. Right. Um, I don't know. I just hope it all works out in the end. It's not going to work out in the end as a Christian. No, it's it's all going to blow up in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine Punk pissing off Andrade and Andrade starts swinging. You know, it's oh. like... <laughs> it's a whole mess. Yeah. That whole show feels like a collision coming. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, that's amply named. Um, well, here's to hoping that's not the case. Uh Join us next week as we review AEW's Double or Nothing. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. 
All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director.